Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Welcome to the HP Podcast, your weekly video game show from the three most handsome men you know. I'm Ben, and with me here is Dave, the Canadian Landon. Dave, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm great. Uh, I had a false start before the show, and I started off with uh, a stupid joke I've done a million times, but I decided to go a different way, uh, so just to say hello. So, you know, I think I've, I think that's some improvement. I've been talking to my therapist about self-improvement. I actually don't have a therapist. Um but yeah, I'm doing all right. Yeah. Good to, good I, to see I, you. So just a little uh, behind the scenes, I guess, for those who will never hear uh, the the false start. Uh, well, now they will. Yeah. You you said uh, from Toronto, and uh, I'm actually now closer to Buffalo, New York. I well, am. I said Toronto area. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's inaccurate. But but speaking of which, <laughs> I, I, I was talking to my wife about something before the show, and I, mm-hmm. I was curious to ask you guys. Um, Wait, does that mean you're closer to us now? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. A lot closer. Love wow. to. Only a whole country away. Love yeah. to hear it. Yeah. I'm very close to Niagara Falls now. Um, do you guys, do you recall seeing a photo place? Like, a, you know, those places when we were growing up and they were everywhere, they were in Walmarts, they had their own dedicated stores where you could take like camera film and go and develop photos. Do you have any yeah. of those in your small town? I don't know that we have any like freestanding ones, but I'm pretty sure like if you took a roll of film to Walmart, they would still do it. They see, I, I sorry, it's the most random thing, but I just I, I wanted to ask you guys because they disappeared overnight in my neck of the woods. Even like the Walmart oh. photo places just completely gone. They still have the kiosks where you can go yeah. and you can send photos from your phone. But you know those places where you go and you take like your film or like a digital yeah. ca- or a camera and they just they develop they just and Robin Williams gone. handles it for you. And I was saying to my wife, so we're a few weeks away from our, our daughter being born, and mm-hmm. uh, I said she is just going to have no idea what those are and we're going to explain to them that there were places where you would go and you'd hand them a little piece of plastic and it would produce a bunch of printed pictures and that's just going to be the most wild thing to her and it it kind of blew my mind thinking about that (laughs) well brandon you're the youngest of the three of us welcome brandon hello hi this is the hp podcast what's what's going on Uh, you're the youngest of us though not that much younger do you remember like having a, a phone that was like you had to walk around the house with it and it had a cord I'll do that. Did you skip that and go just no. to like the handheld wireless phone? No, 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 no. I I definitely remember that. 100%. 
Um, and some of my relatives even had the ones that like went around in a dial. The rotary. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So nice. uh, I'm not quite there yet. Um, what about the one hour photos or, or not even the one hour photos, but uh, maybe our Walmart doesn't have it, Dave. In fairness, I haven't tried to get a roll of film developed in 20 years or so, but maybe our Walmart. I don't know. But the, yeah, you're right. Like there used to be these little huts even that were one hour photo. Yeah. And you were guaranteed to get your film back in an hour, although I don't think you ever really did. No, um, that was just a marketing thing. But no, yeah, I definitely remember that. Um, now you could just do it and it does it itself. We have one of those. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have one of those, like, shake it like the Polaroid pitcher type ones. We got yeah, one of those. Things are so new they've, they're, they're, that they're old. Like, yeah. things are so old that they're new again. <laughs> We've come the whole way around. Um, yeah. But. Well, I mean, now I, I can take a picture on my phone and hit send and immediately pull up my printer and send it to my printer. If that's I want. true. Yeah. And we have somewhere from probably a decade ago a, a photo printer. Oh, those little it. things, yeah. <laughs> yeah, somebody bought it for my wife uh, as a as a gift for either, like, I don't know, when we had a kid or something like that, thinking we'd want to print a bunch of pictures. And I literally think we never opened it. And I was like, we should just sell that. And she's like, yeah, we should. And then <laughs> it's in the attic. Have you guys ever developed your own film? No, no. I've never done that. I've Maybe done one that. of those dark rooms with all it's, the uh, red light and that kind of stuff. Yeah, dude. It's actually, liquid. yeah, dude, it's really cool. Um, there's some harsh chemicals involved, but yeah, uh, in high school, we had a photography class where there was like a dark room built into the, the brick wall. You had to like go in a revolving door that would shut out all the light. And, uh, I developed Mm. some film myself. It was pretty neat. Kind of gives you an appreciation for how it used to be. The craft. Yeah. You don't have that much anymore. I know there are still some people who do that. A lot of hipsters probably, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but no people with like, that need like to have time in their day, you know? Right. Right. It's more of an artisan thing now. Honestly, I barely even look at pictures I take and I take very few. So why would I want to get them printed? I think I can put them in a book and my mom can put them in a scrapbook and cut out the edges in a, in a bedazzled pattern or something like, (laughs) yeah, I don't need that. True. Yeah. I mean, people used to scrapbook too, man. I, I, I remember my mom used to scrapbook a lot. And I think she probably had more scrapbooking supplies than she ever scrapbooked, but you know, the intention was there. So, sorry, I just got to ask, um, I've heard the term scrapbooking and I'm aware it's a hobby, um, done by women over the age of 40, but what, what, what goes in the scrapbook? Pictures? Uh, scraps, mostly. Yeah. yeah, yeah so that be a photo album? Yeah, but it's like glorified, like you essentially theme the pages around it like you would put like a little beach ball that you cut out or like an umbrella for the beach or like some seagulls on the page next to it with all these beach photos so it's like an entire craft where instead of just flipping through pages of photos it's like a little um almost experience on the page um you could also fill it with stuff that's not pictures like letters or something like a baby so I'd have a picture of Brandon and I just like paste like used condoms and like frogs <laughs> and stuff and around. Yeah. So that would be the Brandon experience, right? Brandon approved. Why are the frogs? <laughs> hey man, don't ask too many questions. It's part of the experience. If you don't know, you don't know, Ben. <laughs> okay. It's one I of those. I'll never know. Yeah. Well, this is the HP podcast. We're a show about video games and photo booths. If you want, you can go over and hang out with us in our Discord over at handsomephantom.com slash Discord. 
we appreciate seeing you there and hanging out talking about games and honestly just life there's been a lot of dog pictures in the last week in there uh you can go check those out and i think there were a couple of cats maybe they slipped in there somehow the the filters didn't keep them out they always do uh, tim made it in i think right yeah, yeah i think did. tim made it in you so, did with the batman yeah. very batman-esque uh, uh <laughs> watching over the city pose on the steps there yeah you got it <laughs> Uh, also, if you want to help support the show, you can do so over at patreon.com slash handsome phantom. You can support the show for as little as little as a dollar a month. Add free early access to the show. We appreciate you very much. It helps us really honestly, like maybe you don't even care about the ad free early access. We barely have ads in the show as it is, but actually I've never listened to the free feeds version that somebody else handles our ads. So I have no idea how many ads we have. So I might've just lied. But anyway, it's really just to support us, help support the channel. Uh, help keep the the cost going. Just paid the the hosting bill, a few hundred bucks, a couple times a year or once a year. So you know we we need that we need that dollar from you, please, guys. Let's talk about some news. There's a there's a decent bit of news, and it's all really interesting. So let's start off with number one. Gearbox, known for the Borderlands series, is reportedly for sale as its parent company, Embracer, explores various op various options, including a potential sale following interest from multiple third parties. Embracer is currently undergoing significant restructuring, including the closure of Volition, known for Saints Row, which we talked about last week. Earlier this year, a $2 billion deal with the Saudi government-funded company Savvy Games Group fell through, leading to studio closures and game cancellations. Embracer had been on an acquisition spree, including acquiring Gearbox in February of 2021, valuing the company at up to $1.4 billion. Boys, Gearbox, I think there's been some more news that they had. It's like an official, like there's been some investor packets sent out or whatever. And there's also been some some discussion of maybe Gearbox could go back and be independent once again. Um, my biggest hope is that someone will buy them, hand over the rights to Duke Nukem back to Apogee. And I think Gearbox owns the rights still. I'm not sure. And we get that, you know, that ideal world back into our lives. But Dave, uh, Gearbox potentially being up for sale. Really want to talk about that and also the, just the fact that Embracer seems to be like on fire, potentially. Yeah, yeah, lots to be worried about. Um, kind of thinking about Gearbox on its own. When I think of Gearbox, I think of, of Borderlands. Like, And I think mm -hmm. a lot of people kind of think about this. Um, and I kind of wonder, like, has this franchise peaked? Like, did it peak mm. with Borderlands 2? I love Borderlands 3. Uh, I really like the pre-sequel. I don't know that we need a TV show, which we're getting soon. Um, and I'm wondering if Embracer kind of sees the same thing and thinks like the biggest IP that this publishing house kind of owns um, is going to be losing value as we move further and further away from things like Borderlands 2. Um, so I don't know. That be, might be one of the sort of strategies here. Um, and I do kind of wonder if, if, if Gearbox was to separate from Embracer, either come independent or, you know, be purchased by somebody else, how does that kind of affect Gearbox's publishing power? Because I mean, this is a publisher who has, um, you know, over the past several years published like multiple double A AA and triple A titles every year. And that, that costs quite a bit of money. So in thinking about that, I kind of wonder who has the resources to purchase, um gearbox in you know based on what i just said i think it might be a little bit overpriced a little bit overvalued at this point 
and it will require significant capital to keep going at the pace that they have been, who are the viable suitors? I think about companies like Tencent and Take-Two, Ubisoft or EA. Um, So there's a lot of different possibilities here, but um, I see nothing but a rocky path forward for Gearbox, um, which is too bad because like, I really like Borderlands. Um, Ben, you just mentioned, you know, they currently own the rights to uh, the publishing rights to Duke Nukem and a lot of other interesting franchises. I think, I think they do. Yeah. So it's, um, I I don't know. I I like Gearbox and I I really want to see these, these franchises continue to go, um, in, in a good direction, but, uh, I, I would just say that I don't have the highest of hopes regardless of what happens. Um, you know, we talked about Embracer a few weeks ago. And, you know, how in some cases it can be good when you're acquired by a big company like this, but at the same time, your future can often be out of your hands. And I think this is kind of the case here. There are seriously issues happening uh, with Embracer, and it looks like Gearbox might be uh, a victim of that. So, yeah, I would agree. Yeah. 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 Embracer, I don't know how you couldn't see it coming. They were just gobbling up everything in the world. So eventually something's got to go. Brandon, uh, your thoughts on Embracer slash Gearbox. And also tell me about the time you met Randy Pitchford. <laughs> well, we were standing next to Randy Pitchford. I don't know that we really met him, so to speak. Well, but I mean, you have to spice up the story. We the were near him for sure. Uh, I think he was getting an Uber or something. <laughs> he smelled great. Um, he smelled great. Yeah. Yeah. We did sit behind him at a award show in the Microsoft Theater, but I forget what show it was. Yeah. But um, I th- I think the best thing that could possibly happen for Gearbox, and this is best case scenario, um, would be for them to go independent. I really don't think that, um, you know, $1.4 billion, I don't know. I'm not saying someone might not swoop in, but I will say that I think that the Borderlands series, which is undoubtedly their biggest series, um, is still strong, but definitely not as strong as it used to be, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. Another another huge notable title that comes to mind is Battleborn, um, one of the most top tier shooters of all time. <laughs> yes, of course. You could forget. <laughs> all jokes aside, I mean... I really do think this kind of sounds pretty grim, especially after the news that we got last week. Um, I don't know, man. It It's really sad that all these companies are being bought up. And you're exactly right, Ben. It's just we knew this was going to happen. You really cannot sustain that much growth in that small of an amount of time and not have some sort of ramification for it. Um, mm-hmm. And unfortunately, now it's kind of rearing its ugly head. So. Um, of Volition and and of Gearbox, we clearly have Gearbox being a much more valuable studio in many ways, um, with a lot more prestige. Um, but that doesn't mean they're not safe from the chopping block. I really, really am uh, a little nervous for Gearbox right now. Um, I yeah. would hope that the IP itself would kind of, you know, ha- give it a leg to lean on, but. You never really know. I mean, these companies are so large and have so much buying power um, that even something that costs an estimated $1.4 billion um, could easily uh, be put in the dirt, in my opinion. So, sad well, that one point, yeah, that $1.4 billion is what uh, Embracer paid for them about a, two years ago or so. Yeah, still as cr- I know, but yeah. I guess ultimately a statement stands. I mean, like, that is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. Um, yeah. But... When it comes to like you paid one for one point four billion, right? Is does it cost? Is is it more of a risk 
is it going to cost another billion if you keep this studio right. around or if you shut it down? It's like that's yeah. the ultimate decisions they're going to be have to have to be making. Um, and of all the companies to be making it, um, this is the one that makes me the most nervous for them. Um, right. I think this is going to be huge um, if this ends up, you know, coming to a head and it, it ends up being negative for them. Um, I don't, I don't think they really care about bad PR. Um, they must not, based on last week's news, but. I think this one will probably be much more big of a deal um, yeah. if we end up getting some some bad news. So, Right. Agreed. It'll be interesting for sure uh, to see how things shake out. I, I really don't think they'll get shut down. Uh, I think the most likely scenario is that somebody else buys them, which may be somebody we like or maybe not, or that they go independent. Um, I think their IP is too valuable to let them to let them just close. Although, you know, then the IP would stay with with Embracer if they just closed them. But yeah, I don't, I don't foresee that happening, but crazier things have happened. I mean, uh, two years ago, I didn't think anybody could ever buy Activision. So you never know. Number two, the legend of Zelda series producer has confirmed that there are no additional plans for content for the legend of Zelda tears of the kingdom. In an interview with Famitsu, he stated that they won't, sorry, that they believe they have fully explored the gameplay, gameplay possibilities in the game's world. While they won't rule out revisiting the world in the future, there are currently no plans for additional content. Tears of the Kingdom was initially conceived as DLC for Breath of the Wild, but evolved into a separate sequel, becoming the fastest-selling game in the series upon its release earlier this year in May of 2023. Brandon, we'll go to you first because I know about your deep-seated hatred for Nintendo and their business practices. Um, I fell off of Tears of the Kingdom pretty quick. I mean, 30 hours or so. Not because I didn't like it, but because something else came out. Yeah. But I remember something along these lines being said about Breath of the Wild as well, that they weren't going to do additional content. And then they did. Uh, they announced that at the Game Awards later in 2017, I want to say. But anyway, what do you think? Uh, no additional content for a game that has sold 35 plus million copies at this point. You think that's likely? Um, I mean, honestly, I could see it when you prefaced it the way you did. I mean, if we look at it through the lens of this initially being a DLC, it would make mm -hmm. sense to not have further plans because it originally was planned to be a part of something else. So I don't know as much as they could just completely cash in. Um, I would agree with them in some ways that I feel like they did diversify their gameplay enough from the first one that maybe maybe they felt like they did all they can do. And don't get me wrong, they did quite a bit. Um, I fell yep. off pretty hard as well, Ben. I played probably about the same amount. Um, and I imagine that I'll do the same thing I did with the last one, which is play it really, really hard, just, just for weeks and weeks, super hard, um, and then not play it for a year and then beat it after a year yeah. or two. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. I've tried to logically understand Nintendo's uh, viewpoint. And what I've found is that purely money does not necessarily motivate them. That's true. That's incredibly clear in every decision they make um, for better or worse, which, you know, most companies don't operate like that. But there's a lot more going on behind the scenes that clearly uh, my brain cannot understand. Um, but sure. Yeah, I, I guess this is OK. I'm not too worried about it. When I bought the the Breath of the Wild DLC, um, I, w I wasn't blown away by it. Um, and the bike was cool, but that was honestly the coolest part. So I think that keeping it the way it is would not be a bad thing. 
um, even if that means that they missed out on a little bit of money because they already have a huge piece of the pie. So, Dave, I bought the Breath of the Wild DLC and I'm pretty sure I've never played it. <laughs> but uh, anyway, what do you think? Uh, you you were the one of the three of us who did finish Tears of the Kingdom. Are you are you itching for more? Do you think uh, do you think that would be something you'd enjoy? Um, well, first of all, just because we're talking about Breath of the Wild, I just have to say, um, 2023 has to be going down in history as one of the best years in gaming. Oh, I'm thinking yeah. about Zelda, Diablo, Final Fantasy, Spider-Man still to come, Starfield, Baldur's uh, Hogwarts, Baldur's Gate. Man, it's just, we've been spoiled this year. And I, I mean, we, we spent the last couple of years talking about like how little we've been getting because of, you know, COVID delays and all that stuff. But it seems like our patience is finally um, paying off because it's just, it's weird to, to think about, um, we had a Zelda game earlier this year. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it it's like funny crazy. though, because 2017 was the last year I remember people being like, wow, what a year. Yeah. And that was, that was when breath of the wild came out. Yeah. So if, and, Hey, if you get a Zelda game, it's probably gonna be a good year. Not even to mention hi-fi rush. I mean, man, oh man, yeah, um, let's not mention that. You're right. <laughs> uh, I, I, I have to say, I, I'm glad this, this news story came out because I didn't actually realize that, um, tears of the kingdom was originally planned as DLC. Um, and it's kind of ironic that we're having this conversation. Um, but, uh, it totally makes sense that, that it was planned that way. Um, cause you know, usually these mainline entries in, in the Zelda series aren't like, like actual continuations or sequels, uh, you know, unless you're talking about Majora's Mask. So that's interesting to hear. Um, but I, I do suppose that, and I think we just talked last week about possible DLC for uh, Tears of the Kingdom, but I think mm-hmm. we probably shouldn't have had uh, expectations that high for any Tears of the Kingdom DLC, just given what we got from Breath of the Wild. I mean, that was fairly minimal. Like there were some trials and stuff. And obviously people think about Breath of the Wild DLC and it's really the motorbike. Um, and I mean, I, I think about it and like the two of you have just said, you haven't even finished the game, but you've put in, you know, around 30 hours. Are there really that many people who have run out of things to do in Breath of the Wild or Tears of the Kingdom um, when it comes to games, I feel like this is one that doesn't really need DLC. Um, you know, I know with the way the gaming industry has gone, we've all kind of expected, you know, some kind of post-launch content. Um, so I understand why people have that um, kind of expectations, but I don't think we should be disappointed. And at this, you know, taking it a step further, I think this is something we should celebrate because clearly we got everything the developers had right up front at the vanilla cost. So um, there's a lot to do in this game. Um, you know, for people who are saying they finished everything and they want brand new content, they're probably lying or, you know, <laughs> you're, you're in the, you're in the minority, but um, yeah, I think this is something to be celebrated. I think this is a good thing. And uh, yeah, there's still lots and lots of stuff to do in tears of the kingdom for most people. So uh, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with it with this myself. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I'm okay with it too. And it's not, it's not Nintendo's practice. I mean, they certainly have done it, but it's not very common for like mainline games for them to have DLC. Again, we just talked about Breath of the Wild and they had DLC there, but it's not like a as money grubbing as they can be in other ways. This doesn't seem to be one of them. Really, my main criticisms with Nintendo is that their technology is backwards and their way of doing things and their, you know, their uh their group chat and stuff like that is backwards. But and that they waited three years to enable the Bluetooth on the Switch for some reason. But 
yeah, I, I respect developers who were like, we gave you the game we wanted to give you. And by the way, uh, we sold more copies of it than any other game has sold this year. You're welcome. Uh, please don't ask for more. And it's also respectable knowing that they know probably a good 30% of people would go ahead and buy that DLC. I bought the DLC for Breath of the Wild a full year or whatever it was after I finished the game and I never played it, but I bought it because I knew it was quality and you know, my intention wasn't to not play it, but I didn't play it. Uh, a, a side thing tangentially uh, today, this very day in the, the year of our Lord, 2023, my, my nine year old son beat Breath of the Wild. Whoa, dude, yeah. finally good for him. I'm, he, I'm really proud of him. Honestly, he, yeah, seriously. Go he's ahead. been playing it on and off. He's been playing other stuff too, but he's been playing it on and off. And he, uh, today was like asking me like, okay, I've, I've, well, a while back he was like, how do I, I can't beat Ganon. I'm like, you have like six hearts, dude. Go do a bunch more shrines. Go get the master sword. Like you can't just, and uh, so he did like for months now, he's been just going and grinding shrines and finally went and got the master sword. And yeah, he told me tonight he, uh, he, he beat Ganon. I think on his first try. Dude, back what, in a, after. what a fucking yeah. G. That fight, G. that fight, the beginning of the fight isn't necessarily the easiest thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then he immediately, of course, asked me if he could borrow Tears of the Kingdom. I, I was going to yes. say, so yeah. so when does the next journey begin? Uh, tell him yeah. to play the DLC so you can get your money's worth. Dude, actually, that is <laughs> that is a damn good idea. Yeah. yeah. I think he's ready to move on. It's been, he's been playing it for probably more hours than the three of us combined it, honestly. I would, uh, yeah, I would bet. Uh, yeah. All right, number three. Ubisoft's upcoming game, X Defiant, may see a release window between mid-September to mid-October as the company works through the certification process with PlayStation and Xbox. Producer Mark Rubin provided an update explaining that Ubisoft initially certified, initiated certification in July with an initial aim for an August release. However, due to all the game needing, due to the game needing more work than anticipated, it's now likely to release later in the fall. The plan is to, and, they, and they were very open with all this process. The plan is to submit X Defiant for certification again in just under two weeks. If it passes, the game could be officially released in middle to late September. He expects that the game will receive a conditional pass, which will require a day one patch, which could push the release to early to mid-October. He acknowledged the X Defiant development process hasn't followed the standard rules for game releases, as they've allowed millions of players to experience the game while it's still in progress. This unconventional approach has influenced the release schedule and the aim to release the game as soon as it's ready. Brandon, you and I checked out X Defiance, uh, the, one of the betas earlier in the year. Yeah. And uh, we, I think we talked about it on the show, but, you know, we both were kind of like, OK, yeah, it's, it's a shooter game. Um, but anyway, I, I just wanted to, to talk about one, uh, the game, I guess. And sure. two, just how open and honest they were with like, hey, um, we submitted it. They told us it wasn't ready. We're going to keep working on it. Yeah, like that's that's trans- a level of transparency we don't really all that often see. Yeah, that's honestly pretty refreshing. And I don't know if that's like room for concern or I mean, not that they're being transparent, but as far as the game on console in general. Um, but yeah, my thoughts on the game initially were that it played pretty well. Um, and that it reminded me a whole hell of a lot of Call of Duty in many ways, uh, for better or for worse. Um, the TTK was minuscule, um, and that's mm-hmm. both a good and a bad thing. But no, this is really cool uh, and, and and refreshing to, you know, get a peek behind the curtain without having to get it leaked uh, right. <laughs> or right. uh, something of that nature. So, um, 
yeah, I mean, I wish the best for them. I think that they have a decent game here, um, and I think it could potentially do really well. Um, so, yeah, good for them. I'm hoping it goes well. Um, I'm I'm really wondering what the holdup is, though. If if you guys had any guess, do you think now? I'm not poo pooing on Xbox, but we talked last week about some parody problems. Do we think that might be it, or I don't know? It's just got well, so- it, it's just got it on my mind lately. Let's say that. I didn't add it in, in, but I'm pretty sure that they were rejected by both PlayStation and Xbox. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think it, I think the article I was I pulled this info from specifically said that they were both platforms turned them down. I wonder if it's I wonder did did it mention in the article whether it was last gen as well? I don't recall. Okay. No, I don't I don't remember. I could look it up all while we're asking Dave what he thinks of X Defiant. Do you have any interest in X Defiant, Dave? I do. I really do. Um, I've I've always been um, a very forthcoming Ubisoft shill. Um, <laughs> so I think it's cool that we're going to get like a, a competitive um, Call of Duty style uh, shooter sort of in the in the Ubisoft world. So this is cool. And I got to agree with you guys. I really like this approach they're taking um, in terms of how transparent they're being. Uh, Mark Rubin, um, I think a lot of this information just came from him posting on Twitter and people were commenting and he was just kind of responding to those comments. So um, I think this is cool. And I, it's really interesting to see for Ubisoft because, I mean, this is this is a big, big publisher. So to see them be this sort of interactive and engaging with fans is uh, is cool to see. I think another thing that's important to note from this is uh, Rubin did specifically say in this thread that there will not be a shadow drop. I think a lot of people were hoping that, you know, it would get approved and then boom, they'd, they'd say, okay, it's available now. But uh, those of us who were hoping for an Apex style uh, release aren't going to get it. And uh, that's a little disappointing. But at the same time, it allows them some time to do some marketing and it allows uh, gamers sometimes to do some preloading and stuff like that. So, yeah, I like the direction they're going with this. I, I'd be curious to hear why they were rejected. Um, I do think that behind the scenes, they, they may have been stalling a little bit because um, I do think that Modern Warfare 3's release and them kind of waiting to hear what Activision was actually going to do with Call of Duty um, this year, it would have been wise for them to hold out and see what was actually going to materialize with that. So whether they were waiting for that or not, I think the fact that um, they now know uh, Activision's cards are all played out, we know what we're getting for uh, from Call of Duty in 2023 and 2024, um, because I think the the launch success for X Defiant very much rides on what Activision's doing with Call of Duty. So, um, yeah. but in any case, I'm excited to play this game. It, sorry, it is free to play. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be free yeah, to I play. So. And just to uh, follow up on that from earlier, it looks like it's PC, PS5, and Series consoles for Xbox. Okay, so, so it's not last gen. It's not last gen. See, that would have been my other guess was that maybe they were having some performance issues, but that's kind of uh, an enigma to me. Then, well, I mean, they could be having performance issues. True. You know, just because it's not on a last gen console right. doesn't mean anything. I guess. Uh, also, this is a little bit of a tangent, but. Dave, you mentioned Shadow Drop, and I was just thinking the other day about how incredibly hype it was when Apex dropped, because, you know, yeah, X Defiant would have been a Shadow Drop if they just released it without a date, but we've known about X Defiant. Brandon and I at least have played X Defiant, and Apex, we literally had never even heard of it, Right, and it was like, it's available now. right now. Yeah. It was, that's crazy. It, love and this it's still a Shadow Drop, man. Dude, uh, 
to kind of piggyback off that, man, and the success and the ups and downs of Call of Duty, I've been seeing so many people that every time I turn on Twitch, they're on Call of Duty. Like, that's their game. Mm -hmm. A ton of people have migrated to Apex or Counter-Strike or Valorant. Like, I'm seeing it a lot with people that literally never, ever played other games. Like, rarely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's crazy. It is. Interesting. Interesting times, for sure. All right, boys, here's the big news. The big, the big talk of the town today. Number four, Unity is introducing a new fee called the Unity Runtime Fee for games created with the Unity engine, starting from January 1. This fee will be imposed on games that have surpassed specific revenue and lifetime installation thresholds in the past year. The fee amounts and the thresholds differ based on the developer's Unity subscription type. For Unity Personal and Unity Plus per- Plus users, the thresholds are $200,000 in annual revenue and 200,000 lifetime installations. For Unity Pro and Unity Enterprise accounts, the thresholds are $1 million in annual revenue and 1 million lifetime installations. The fee amounts also vary, with Unity Personal developers having to pay the most per installation above the threshold, which is 20 cents per installation, while the Unity Enterprise accounts pay the least at 1 cent per every installation above 2 million. And this is, I know this is just a lot of numbers and stats and stuff thrown at the audience here, but uh, go go look up a graph or something if you need to, if it helps. Developers in emerging markets received reduced fees with Unity personal accounts paying two cents per installation above the threshold and enterprise accounts paying half a cent per installation. Starting January 1st, existing games created with Unity will also be subject to runtime fees if they meet the defined thresholds. It's important to note that these fees do not apply to non-gaming applications. Unity has introduced this fee because the Unity runtime is installed in each is installed each time a game is downloaded, and it believes an initial installation-based fee allows creators to benefit from ongoing financial gains. Unity is also discussing or is also discontinuing its Unity Plus subscription tier, and existing Plus subscribers will be offered an opportunity to upgrade to Unity Pro for a year at the plus price. And then after that, you're screwed. Just to add on to this, just a little bit more information that uh, Steven Tatillo was able to gain. He's a reporter. Uh, he said, I got, this is, a, this is from Twitter, quote, I got some clarifications from Unity regarding their plan to charge developers per game install. If a player deletes a game and reinstalls it, that's two installs and two charges. What the? It's fuck? the same if they install it on two devices. If it is a charity game, so like the Humble Bundle or something like that, or or a bundle in general, it is exempted from the fees. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. 
boys, this is... And there have just been devs God. all over the place, you know, talking about this. And especially, it brings up the Game Pass conversation. Dave, let's go to you first. I don't think you've worked with any game engines. I've barely worked with a game engine. I have very little knowledge of how these things work. But what I do understand a little bit more is dollars and cents. And this doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I suspect there is not precedence for something like this, especially in the video game industry. Um, not to this degree, no. Yeah, I will say that I, I like that it, it appears to be scaled and it allows smaller developers to um, continue to utilize Unity, um, which seems to be fairly popular amongst you know smaller creators or people new to to kind of uh, making games and, and maybe have a bit less of a budget. So I think it's good in that respect. Um, I, I think this allows Unity to um, collect and profit and hopefully continue to grow and iterate and evolve and push Unreal um, when it comes to sort of these game engines um, because competition amongst these two um, sort of engines is nothing but good things for it means nothing but good things for gamers and uh, and creators alike. Um, I was as I was reading this, I was kind of wondering how revenue was going to be reported. Um, I'm not sure if that was explained in the in the number of of downloads and sort of installations of that sort of little unity packet. But I'm pretty sure there's a, sorry to cut in, but I'm pretty sure there's an, like a, you know, when, when you install the game, the engine tells like reports back. Right. So unless people were downloading it without or installing it without an internet connection, it would tell them. It's, it's, and someone's going to find a way to hack this and make it so it it doesn't install that little tracker thing to, to, to report back to unity. Exactly. Um, On PC maybe, but what about console? Yeah. I don't know. It's, 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 it's all a bit funky, isn't it? Um, This, uh, the way this is kind of being done and I'm not sure what the end goal is, was, was unity kind of struggling? I, I don't think so. Uh, they seem yeah. to be a fairly popular engine. So, I mean, I've tried to outline the positives. I think I have from my perspective, but yeah. I'm curious to think what you guys think, especially you Ben, having worked with, you know, a smaller game developer and creator on, on how this might impact the industry, not just as a whole, but especially when it comes to those, those smaller developers and creators. Yeah. So just to clarify, we don't, we don't work with unity or, um, with, uh, unreal. We work with a little, uh, game maker engine. Um, basically you pay them a license fee and then you're done. Um, my thing about this is that, okay, let's say going forward at this date, whatever you decide to impose these new fees, uh, then guess what? You chose to do that. Granted, there's people who've been working on games for years, whatever, but at least it's like a forward thing. My biggest problem really is that some of this is retroactive that people within this year who have sold, you know, however many games are going to owe two cents per game uh, back to back to unity. Uh, that's the one thing that's really disheartening to me is that they're like, Hey, uh, we want some more of that money you already made us or made um, the, the thing you signed up for and the fees you thought you were getting we're actually going to take some of that now. Um, the other thing is that this kind of, it really screws people who have um, game pass deals. So if you have a game on game pass and it has a, uh, you know, it has a large install, I mean, that's 25 million plus 
people who have the potential to download it. Uh, if you have Ultimate, it's on two devices, potentially, or three. If you have an Xbox X, an Xbox Series S, and a PC, like, I've installed stuff on both of my consoles, for sure. So, like, that really screws people over there who have their games on a subscription service. Um, I just think that them saying, like, okay, here's the deal. Uh, if you sell over this many copies, you owe us this much. And if you don't sell over this many copies, you owe us this much. That's fine. But then to say, oh, and also, anytime somebody installs the game, we also want some of that, too. We we don't care if they install it, delete it, install it, delete it, install it, delete it. Ten times in a month, we're going to take two cents every time. Those are my big problems with it, is it's like, there's no extra work on Unity's end. Yeah, to be able to to make that happen, Brandon. I'll let you chime in. Yeah, and I mean, I agree with you completely, Ben. I I just think this is a bad look. And Unreal Engine Five every single day is looking more and more enticing for every single developer that uh, gets his hands on it for free. Um, but yeah, I don't. This is just a strange move. I think that if Unity came out and said, "Hey," Essentially, Unity 2.0. We got a whole new thing going. It's a whole new price point. It's like I feel like if there was extra value added in some way that was like exponential or measurable, um, I feel like the price point would be less of a hit, um, and it would make more sense to me. But I agree with Ben completely. It's like how many games have I downloaded on Game Pass that I have just downloaded, played for about five minutes, and then been like, Nah, I'm good. It's just, it doesn't make sense the way they're doing it. And I feel like it's very, I don't know, wanting a piece of the pie because you essentially helped this game developer is perfectly reasonable. Um, Wanting a piece of the pie and some dessert, double dessert, essentially, is what I'm saying. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know. This is weird. This is very weird. And um, I just feel bad for a lot of small developers because even though some of them might not be affected, it's it's directly affecting a lot of people. I mean, Unity's huge. So um, I think that if there was a notable difference, um, some sort of improvement, some sort of uh, incentive um, to you know get on board with this new pricing package, I feel like it would be less insulting. But as it stands now, I don't really understand what they're trying to do aside from suck money out of people that might not have it. So... You know how review bombing exists? Oh, yeah. People get pissed off at a developer. Download bombing. Download bombing. Dude, literally, you could fucking tank a developer financially if you did something (laughs) shitty on a game, okay? And the public... Or even if you didn't do something shitty and people just didn't like it. Yeah, dude, imagine. Imagine you got... You get you and all your friends. Two cents, two cents, two cents. And and it's shitty, but like this is the way it works. This is also why this makes no sense. No sense. If you want money for what you helped them with, fine. Um, but the download thing is just like asinine as far as I'm concerned. I saw a little conspiracy theory earlier today. And of course, this is just a conspiracy theory. But uh, apparently the the guy who's the president of Unity was the president of EA or, or some big big at EA whenever they were like the worst, you know, voted the worst company in America. Yeah, that makes sense. Multiple times. Um, but a couple of days ago, he sold off like a gigantic amount of shares. Like within the last two or three days, he, he sold off a ton of shares. Dude. Probably knowing this was coming, obviously. Dude, do, you but, know what, do you know what that is? 
Uh, insider trading. Insider dude. trading. How about trading. that? Yep. Take yep. his ass to jail. Yeah. So, Dave, I think... I guess I can I can understand some of the positives you mentioned, and I even agree with them that if they needed to make a new a new structure to be able to survive and to be able to keep providing this engine for people, then I totally understand that. But I just think the way they're going about it is pretty shitty. And yeah. I still don't know if I were picking between, you know, Mr. All of a sudden, very friendly, epic Unreal Engine, who's like, hey, you don't owe us anything for 500 years and 10 million sales or you know it's not really that but whatever it is uh you know there's a big difference now between picking unreal and picking un- unity yeah and that- it's the retroactive thing just to kind of put it into context some of the bigger games that utilize uh unity beat saber uh cuphead and pokemon go genshin impact that's insane insane bro <laughs> why would they not want a piece of that pie like like i get it logically but it just I think it's an oversight, man. And I wouldn't be surprised if not only you see a big backlash from small developers, but large developers as well. I mean, just as much as this cuts into... It's mostly been small developers so far. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if moving forward, um, you know, as it stands, if we saw less interest in Unity, because, I mean, hey, just as much as Unity wants a uh, a piece of this money, like it's so crucial for the developers to, you know, make the money as well. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. They're already getting, you know, they're already getting, you know, usually at least 30% cut off the top of every sale from the store holder, whether it's Xbox or switch or, you know, PC steam or whatever. Um, So that's part of it. And I saw a thing that said that the people like, this is not only going to affect if somebody buys the game and installs it, but if they get it on a subscription, which I mentioned, if there's a demo that runs on Unity, that'll be an install. And also pirated games, which I'm not condoning piracy, but we all know there's a lot of people who aren't paying shit for their games right. who are going to end up actually costing the developers money rather than just a net zero. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like most of the negative is going on the uh, the, the developer here and nobody else which is yeah. sad. So yeah. also sidestep before you move on, because you said apex Titanfall mm-hmm. two got an update. Did you guys see this? Did it? It got an update. The servers are fixed out of nowhere. I don't know what's going on. There's been a lot of rumors floating around that there's some sort of resurgence, but, but I guess maybe it's the whole Xbox fi- fixing the modern warfare two servers that kind of made them realize that, you know, these old games can't have life again. But yeah, I guess yeah. the uh, out of nowhere after like, what, how many years? I don't even know. A lot, a lot of years. Uh, the Titanfall 2 works again. So that's crazy. Yeah. Maybe I should give it another shot. I never really played the multiplayer. Oh, wait, there wasn't. Was there multiplayer in two? I yeah. think so. It was yeah, one. I know that there didn't definitely wasn't one, obviously. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. One was pretty much only multiplayer, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Number five. Unless there's anything else to say about Unity. Okay. Starfield appears to have set a new record for Xbox Game Studios titles, boasting over 1 million concurrent players on its launch day across all platforms. The official Starfield account, this is a couple days ago, tweeted that the game has been played by over 6 million individuals by the end of its first official day of availability, making it the largest Bethesda game launch to date. Although Xbox hasn't officially confirmed it, this likely makes Starfield the biggest day one launch for any Xbox Game Studios title, surpassing the previous record set by Forza Horizon 5. Starfield's early access release on Steam saw a daily concurrent user peak of approximately 250,000 users, 
indicating strong initial interest. Now, that was early access, remember. The game's official release on various platforms, including Game Pass, attracted a significant number of new players with a peak of more than 330,000 on Steam alone, several days after it was released for all players. Whether Starfield will surpass Forza Horizon 5's milestone of 10 million players in the first week, described as the biggest first week in Xbox history, remains to be seen. I assume maybe even by the time this show comes out, um, we'll, we'll hear something from Xbox if that's the case, and I think it probably will be. But I wanted to throw this here at the end because we'll get into what we're playing too. But uh, Brandon, yeah, let's start you off. Sure. Talking about just, just the, the success first of Starfield. No, absolutely. I think this is good um, for the entire game or ecosystem in general, but also um, a really, a really good thing for Bethesda and Microsoft. Um, they really needed something that won this year. Um, and I feel like if you take nothing else into account, the numbers really speak for themselves here. Um, after the stinker that we had earlier in the year with Redfall, this is really, really, really what they needed. Um, they did spend an astronomical amount of money on on um, advertising, and that obviously completely paid off. Um, it's been an interesting launch, I'll say that, um, yeah. for many reasons. We we touched on it a bit last week. Um, there's been a lot of drama around it, but um, always glad to see to see these studios winning, um, even the big boys, um, mm-hmm. because either way, Bethesda makes some good games. So now this is good. And uh, yeah, Forza last year, Starfield this year. Xbox is looking good, man. And I'm happy Another about Forza it. this year too. Yeah. 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 So yeah. they're not even done yet. Um, I won't talk about it extensively and I'm not going to shift, but I'm hearing some good news about motorsport as well. Um, yes, sir. Some early, some early previews and stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah, this is awesome. Good news. D- Dave, your thoughts on, uh, on the gigantic launch. We all knew it was going to be big, but it's nice to see it. it was actually big. Well, first of all, let's, uh, let's go easy on Redfall. You know, it's not that bad. <laughs> I've been thinking about getting back into it. Soon, oh, really? You know, maybe, maybe in January two or so? three months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it'll, it'll be improved by then, but, um, sure, sure, I, sure. I've, I've been kind of thinking about like Bethesda and, um, was Doom Eternal, was that launched prior to the acquisition or was that the first big Bethesda launch under Microsoft? That was in 2020, so it would have been before the acquisition. Yeah, before. So that this, was that game came out like right as like all the lockdowns started and everything. Yeah, it came out, um, and I know it caused a lot of issue because it came out around the same time as uh, Animal Crossing, and there was a bunch of people same who day. wanted to go and pick up the game, and uh, there was yeah. you know stores were closed and stuff. So that was right. a funny time. What a weird time. Um, funny is one word, one way to describe <laughs> yeah. it. <I> guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's those those two. It was like Barbie and Oppenheimer coming out like on the same yeah. weekend, it, and then you have right. Doom and what polar opposites? Except there Anyways. weren't like hundreds of thousands of people dying. Exactly. The, <laughs> um, the so so this is kind of the first big Bethesda release under mm-hmm. Microsoft, and you know it's such a big success, and it has so many concurrent players. And I think it is important to note that um, you, you mentioned in the article there that there was a lot of people who were playing early access, which means that people chose to pay additional money to, to play this um, before it came out on Game Pass. So I think that's a win. But I do wonder, and we'll probably never know this, what does this look like financially for Bethesda versus Fallout 4's launch or, or Doom Eternal's? Because 
we know that, you know, the dollar and cents that are going back and forth aren't the same because, you know, a lot of this is happening under game one or uh, day one on Game Pass and uh, people just aren't paying full price for this game. Um, so, you know, I, this is a huge, huge win for Microsoft. It's a big, big win for Game Pass. It's a big win for uh, customers and gamers. But I wonder if it's a big win for Bethesda. Um We'll probably never know, but in any case, it's it's. Well, what do you what do you mean with that? You mean financially? Yeah, because I mean, you know, Fallout. If you wanted to play Fallout Four at launch, you had to pay full price for it. It wasn't on Game Pass. Um, same. I, I've just always assumed like the purse strings are held at Microsoft, and if Bethesda needs some money, they ask for it and they get it. Yeah, I, that's my assumption. I don't know. Probably. Well, also, some something ahead, to keep in mind is just as much as. I think a lot of people are playing this on Game Pass. What does it say? Early access. So 250,000 users. Is that what it says here? 250,000 users. Early access. Early access on Steam. 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 So that's... That was concurrent on Steam. I guess Steam's taking a piece of that as well. But... Yeah, they are. Even so, that's... What's that? The $100 version? Yes. So... But anybody playing early access on... Let's say they were playing on Game Pass and they were playing early access. They paid $30 to rent that game for five days extra. Right. So I'm not saying it evens itself out with people not buying it for full price, but I'm saying it probably would help quite a bit. This new trend yeah. we're seeing and getting it early, but sorry, well, I know Dave. that. Yeah. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> sorry. Uh, I know that, um, that Forza's early access launch, I think there were over a million. I, I might be pulling that out of my ass, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure there were, they said there were over a million people God, who damn. played early um through game and that what that's not on steam so if a million people paid 30 dollars extra for the premium version of forza i cannot imagine that less people through game pass paid extra for the early edition that's that's a lot of money right there yeah that is a lot of money for the same game early yeah i just hope Todd's and by okay the way is if, all i'm saying i hope it's okay <laughs> and i and i said it in passing that it was that's a rental but Really, if you have Game Pass, and this is where the subscription thing gets a little shaky to me. I love subscription services, but this is where it gets a little shaky. I'm paying 15 bucks, 17 bucks, whatever it is a month for Game Pass Ultimate. I love it. I have no regrets. But when you say to me, okay, in five days, you can pay this, play this game for no extra money on top of your subscription, but pay me $30 right now and you can play it five days early. And then if you ever decide to cancel your Game Pass, You've got shit on your account. You don't have access to the game anymore. Um, but you can play it five days early. Like that's I'm like, I don't know. I don't know about that. Dude, someone I work with did that. Yeah. He's playing it on Game Pass and he's like, Yeah, I just I just uh paid them thirty bucks and I could play it early. But I was like, I <laughs> I guess, man, whatever you want to do. Yeah. But we, we did talk last week about how um unbethesda it was for so many review copies to have gone out in the wild like yes. they do. They did, mm-hmm. but I, I really think that was probably part of that strategy to kind of push for as many early access um purchases as possible. Um yeah. and I think it paid yeah. off. I think it really paid off for them. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. Well, now that we are done talking about Starfield, let's talk about Starfield. Uh, <laughs> Dave and Brandon, I, I had played a little bit by the time we we recorded last week um, through the early access, which I did not pay extra to rent. Uh, thank you to Bethesda once again. But um, you guys have been playing it. Let's start off with you, Dave. Uh, and, and actually, we can just all collectively chime in on this conversation. The latency might get us a little bit. We'll see. But 
Uh, let's let's go ahead and start with you, Dave, talking about your time in the constellations. Yeah. So um, important delineation here. Uh, I have been playing on Series S, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm happy to report that it uh, it runs great. Um, obviously, if you're on Series X or or a high end PC, you're going to get a better experience. But uh, for Maybe. a Bethesda title running on sort of half last gen hardware, uh, I was really impressed with how it looked and how it ran. Um, 30 frames per second, um, but it's it was fairly stable. Did notice some hitches uh, here and there, but no real kind of game breaking issues or anything that was kind of immersion breaking or even was just funny or weird. So um, I think this was pretty well reported, and and I'm I'm happy to say that I had a similar very good um, sort of experience with sort of a day one uh, Bethesda launch. So ran really well. Um, I. I I I I like the opening hours. Um, I I I think the gunplay is really good. Um, and I th- this is something we noted when uh, that first gameplay trailer came out. Is, uh, you know, the Fallout and Skyrim sort of first-person combat for me, anyways, always felt a little bit. The melee always felt a little bit floaty, and the gun combat in Fallout uh, always felt you know, kind of weird and, and that kind of played into the, the weapons you're using, but in, um, in Starfield, I'm really enjoying the, the gunplay. Uh, it's, it kind of felt, uh, like a slightly improved version of what I had in cyberpunk, um, mm-hmm. which was pretty good. Um, but yeah, I really like this. Uh, there's a lot of different weapons that you get right off the bat. So I enjoyed that. Um, but generally speaking, this game just hasn't really kind of grabbed me the way I hoped it would. Um, I don't know what it is. I don't know if I'm just not kind of interested in playing a game like this right now, but kind of five, six hours in. And um, yeah, I don't know. There, I, there's a feeling I remember having in Fallout where, um, you know, I would just kind of wander the wasteland and I'd put, you know, the really cool soundtrack on and I just kind of stumble upon shit. I am aware that you can do that in Starfield, but I'm also a little surprised at how much time I spent navigating menus to kind of move Mm -hmm. through different, you know, star systems and galaxies. And again, I know you can kind of just manually fly somewhere, but I thought it was kind of weird where like, you know, you open your star map and you select a system and you hit travel and load screen and you get mm-hmm. there and, and you find the planet. And, you know, once again, the, the simplest way to kind of get to where you want to go is open your star map again and go planet and select it and load screen. And I don't know, it just felt very um, not Bethesda RPG. And I, I, that took me out of the experience a little bit. Dave, um, let me, let me cut you off real quick sure. and ask you, um, since you're playing on Series S and we're talking about load screens, what are the loading times like on Series S? They're fine. They're quick. Okay. They're very quick. I was just curious because I'm playing on PC, so I haven't yeah, even tried no, it Yeah, no, the load times aren't the issue. It's just more like, I don't know. I think about like those moments where you kind of get lost in the wasteland in Fallout and those kind of moments of serenity in Skyrim um, where you're just kind of wandering and stumbling upon stuff. I just felt like my early hours with Starfield have felt very transactional. Um, go here, walk up to this person, fast travel to the next place. And 
Um, I don't know. I just, it, it hasn't had the immersion um, that I've felt. I, you know, the voice acting, all that kind of stuff. I, I've spent some time doing just kind of the intro, some of the mainline stuff. I've done some, uh, some, some side content as well, just with, I, I do like how like activities just kind of pop up into your uh, quest log just by overhearing people talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I, I just kind of followed that, that path in a couple instances. And I liked all that, but just, I don't know, thus far there hasn't been enough to make me want to spend dozens of hours in Starfield at the moment. So mm-hmm. curious to hear Here's what you guys all. think though. Yeah. Uh, and I will, I will totally agree with you on the the loading. It feels a little much to me, but with that said, the further I get into it, the less it bothers me because I'm like, I really don't want to fly over there. Why would I want to do that? Uh, but th- I don't know if I agree with this, but apparently other people did. Your, your statement about the first, you know, you've got what, five or six hours into it. The thing that a lot of reviewers were saying was the first five or six hours are the worst part of the game until it opens up and then you really get the experience. I had a blast in those first few hours. So for me, that wasn't the case, but clearly for some people it is. And then the other thing... Um, you're talking about how you walk pe- past people and you get quests in your in your quest log immediately. That drives me crazy because I want to go do everything. Like I want, I'm like, oh well, now I got to go over there and do this. I, I want them to be able to talk to that person and accept their quest. And, but I think that's a good thing because you don't have to do it all. Um, but some people were saying, you know, rush the main storyline, get to New Game Plus, and then go do everything, whatever. Uh, and then I've seen some pushback against that too. I'm kind of doing a mix. I'm just playing however I want to play. If I want to go to do the next mainline mission, I go do it. If I want to do a side mission, I do it. However, whatever I'm feeling at the moment is what I've been doing. But Brandon, um, talk about your experience. I know that, uh, you were not, you were also not a fan of the loading screens, but other than that, have you found it? Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of where Dave's at. I, I, this game really has not grabbed me in almost any way at all. Um, in fact, you know, this is the, what you've been playing. I've played some Starfield. I've probably played about nine hours, and I don't really think I've enjoyed most of the time I've had with it. Holy shit. Um, and I got shows over. And um, <sighs> thanks for listening. Genuinely. Sign up on Patreon. And I agree with you, Ben. After you've been playing for 30, 40 hours, would it be tedious to fly into the planets? Yes. But I cannot help but think about games like No Man's Sky when I'm playing a game like this. And in so many ways, No Man's Sky is so much more engaging to me than some of the experiences that I've had in this game. Mm. Now, that being said, there are many things that I wish were in, were in No Man's Sky that uh, Starfield has. It, it's kind of like a trade-off. Like, honestly, if I can mush the two games together, I think they'd both be better for it. But mm-hmm. um, I agree with Dave. I don't want to just brush over this. I feel like um, a lot of the intrigue is lost on me when I'm just going into a menu every single time I need to go somewhere. It feels so uninteresting. Um, I'm just like, okay, I'm in this planet. I just finished this quest. Um, I talk to somebody, I get this mission, I open up my menu, I fly to some other system by just going into a menu and holding X, and now I'm suddenly in this system, okay, and I'm floating in front of this planet, and then I click on the planet in my menu, and then I fly into the planet. I don't know, it just hasn't felt... And maybe it's because I'm approaching it like other Bethesda games. And I feel like that's part of the problem for me is that I really am approaching it like I can just walk around. Um, And not that you can't walk around. There are points of interest. They're procedurally generated. But I feel like it's not as rewarding as just like I need to train my brain to 
go from mission to mission to mission. And I feel like that's kind of one of the weakest parts for me is that, you know, I loved doing what Dave said, throwing on the radio and just walking around and seeing what I could find. And you can do that in that game. I don't want to minimize that. It just doesn't feel the same. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's It's been very confusing for me, a lot of it. Um, I don't really know when it's going to grab me. I want to keep playing it. I do. And 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 I will keep playing it. But um, yeah, I think there's a lot of depth and I feel like a lot of it's lost on me. Like the ship combat, for instance, aside from just doing dogfights in space, I feel like this game could have equally not had that almost at all. And it wouldn't have been that much different of an experience. Yeah, I, I know that if you fast travel a lot, and especially if you've already been somewhere, you can pretty much almost not experience any fighting in space other than the um, the, the story parts that are fighting in space. And I don't like that. Yeah, I wish that, it, that there were more reasons to have to fight in space. But yeah, I mean, I... I totally so I'm I'm totally the opposite of you guys. I mean, I definitely agree with some of the criticisms. They're just not bothering me. I'm probably between 35 and 40 hours in at this point, and I'm loving every hour I play more than the last hour that I played. Gotcha. Um, maybe it just needs maybe to... not. Go ahead. Not literally on like a 60 minute rotating basis right. or anything, but like I'm I'm liking it more and more and more as it goes on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and honestly, there's not a lot of hand-holding, I feel like, for a lot of this, and I feel like that's been very jarring for me as someone who has recently had a lot of experience with first-person shooters, but not many other mechanics other than that. Going mm -hmm. to a keyboard and not getting my handheld very much has been kind of confusing to me. Um, mm -hmm. I popped it on my Series X um, and really enjoyed the ship combat significantly more on controller than, than mm -hmm. uh, mouse and yeah. keyboard, but... Um, I it's probably the inverted controls that are throwing you off, honestly, for the ship fighting. Yeah. Part. Yeah. But I don't know, man. I think that the gunplay is fine. I think that um, that's probably some of the most fun I have in the game. Um, and maybe this is a problem with me. I think it is a problem with me. But most of the time, I just don't give a fuck about what anybody's saying to me. I just want to wander around and look for shit and find cool shit. And like occasionally, usually I end up caring about the side quests a lot more than I do the main quests. But I I'm having the most fun with this game when I'm just like killing a group of pirates in some large base um, unless when I'm talking to a group of people about some spinning orb in a room. I don't know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It It hasn't grabbed me yet. I do think that overall, it's, you know, it is a quality experience and a lot of the discourse online has been completely unmerited. Um, but I think that uh, in many ways, for better or worse, this is very much a Bethesda game. Um, and I mean that at polar opposites for good and bad. I feel like this is like, <laughs> like it shines and it's its dullest um, at the exact same time for the exact same reason. Um, yeah. So... I want to keep playing it for sure. Um, I am interested. I, I I hate the idea of things getting good or like, you know, your friend's like, dude, you got to watch this TV show. You got to watch this TV yeah. show. It gets yeah. good on the fourth fucking season. The yep. beginning is a drag. I'm going to be honest. Like, I think that might have been part of my experience is that it didn't grab me right away. So I was less motivated to try and understand these complex systems. Um, I also don't understand some of the barriers this game puts up for you right away. 
Um, and maybe that's just me being a baby, but like, like, like what? I'm just the one example. I don't. I'm all, I don't remember. I'm always, always over encumbered more than I ever remember it being in Fallout. Now that's always sure. a problem. I don't pick up everything, but this yeah. game more than any other. And I know you can upgrade it, Brandon. You can upgrade it. I get it. Um, <laughs> but like, I don't know. And you can upgrade the jetpack. I get that. Um, sure. But I just, yeah, I don't know. Something about it. I'm kind of with Dave um, a little bit. It has not grabbed me quite yet, and I'm, and clearly I I need to play more. Um, and I well, I mean maybe not. If if a game, if you're ten hours in and you don't, you're not enjoying it, then maybe you don't need to play more to yeah. enjoy it. Like, it, yeah. What I will say is that um, I found the sto- the main storyline actually pretty good for a Bethesda game uh, because normally, you know, as we talked about before, that's not the main draw. So I'm I'm actually pretty into the main story right now. Uh, but of course, the side quests are always really good. Yeah, not always. There's some duds in there too, where you're like, "Why did I just yeah. do that?" Uh, but there's been some really good ones, some really interesting ones. A lot of the random encounters I've had, either in space or on planets that are you know procedurally generated, um, have been really funny. Like made me laugh out loud. Which you know, for those of you who know me, I'm not much of a laugh out loud person. Uh, so that's been impressive to me. I'm getting. Um, a little too into you talking about just like wandering around and doing whatever you want. I've been just wandering around planets, scanning things for like hours. See, at times I love doing that. Mm-hmm. I, I I feel like what's the reward? Well, you get you can sell the the scans of the planet once you hundred percent them. Okay. Um, you can discover more materials. Uh, you get XP. Okay. There's a reward. And that's just again, this is this is such a subjective thing because I know yeah. one of the one of the big um popular sort of features of Starfield uh has been the base building and the ship building, which people mm-hmm. have just been loving. That's just not a thing that I've ever enjoyed doing. Um sure. plus the ship building um on on controller is not the most intuitive thing i've heard that um which is fine it's still good it's still easy to use and intuitive but um just so much better on mouse and keyboard or at least it appears so but uh one of the things i i wanted to highlight that i really liked is uh, i did enjoy the ship um stuff it it felt really cool kind of uh managing your different systems and it was so simple but it was so kind of engaging and i felt like i was actually kind of manning the ship um so yeah, that's yeah. that's one thing I wanted to kind of highlight there. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, yeah. I hope. I mean, I understand, or I, I agree with almost all of the criticisms you guys have as far as them, but for whatever reason, they're just not bothering me. Yeah, uh, and and I think that it's interesting because I think all three of us, at least when we first started playing, were like a Bethesda game. You know, another Skyrim, another Fallout. And I just feel like other than the way that, you know, the conversations go and some of the jank and everything, like this game is not really meant to be played like any of those other games. And it took me a while to figure that out. And once I figured that out and and just wanted to play a game and not a Bethesda game, I started enjoying it a lot more. And granted, you know, there's that there's that charm that we all have, that that love of bethesda games that um that we really miss i think but once i let go of that i started enjoying the the parts of it that were there more than missing the parts that weren't there um but i think for i don't know there i mean like 
when people talk about fast travel and like you said, Brandon, when you're like 40 hours in, you might, whatever, you might not want to do that. You might want to not want to go, but like you literally can, you can go to a whole different planet. But like, I think it was Alana Pierce who just like set her ship in a path it's and like then a, went to bed and woke up. I think from like Earth to Pluto, it took her like seven real time, real world hours to go there. Yeah. And like, if you're talking about the scale of the galaxy, I don't know that you actually don't want to fast travel. Yeah. I get that, but also like I'm a spaceman. I don't know. Yeah. There's something. I think that the feature for fast travel is a much needed feature, but I, mm-hmm. I like the option. Like some of the coolest things is like barreling into a planet in no man's sky in your ship and zooming over the ground, you know, as close as you can to the ground and looking for for things to explore like sure. yeah. I've, yeah i feel like that sort of thing is completely lost in this and i get that's not how the game's meant to be played but right it's really hard for me and 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 i don't think it's necessarily a merit on the game i think it's a problem with me having comparing it to the to games sure. that aren't it um but i just found that so engaging on um, the way no man's sky did that um and they're similar enough that i kind of cannot separate yeah. them in my mind i guess and it's and, and it's kind of unfortunately um i think that's a natural comparison to make though like that's not an unfound unfound comparison yeah. like they're both space exploration games right yeah they're gonna have some similarities and differences obviously yeah well i'm are you surprised passion of hope <laughs> am i surprised i don't know if i'm surprised as much as i'm disappointed for you not yeah. disappointed in you there's a big difference i'm not mad just, i'm um, disappointed <laughs> I'm not breaking mad my heart. I'm having, <laughs> I'm having so much fun that I wish you guys were having as much fun, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, but we yeah, haven't quit so. playing video games. We're having fun with other stuff. Sure. Yeah. Brandon, you said that you'd, you'd been playing Starfield. You only played a couple hours. Have you played something else too? Yeah, honestly. I, I, so I played about nine hours of Starfield. Um, yeah. And I, I keep turning it off to play Baldur's Gate. Yeah, um, every, Let's talk about that. every single time I get aggravated with Starfield because I'm just <laughs> not engaged essentially um, I'm just kind of like I'm the most engaged when I'm shooting at something and then everything else sure. that goes outside of that I'm like you know what the fuck am I doing um, yeah. oh by the way real quick you mentioned shooting do you remember when Todd Howard was asked maybe I said this last week on the episode oh no dude Todd we, ha- we, we talked about it yeah go ahead you and I talked yeah, about it yeah yeah okay at one point, Todd Howard was asked if you could play this as like a no-kill stealth run. And he was like, oh, yeah, there's lots of ways to play it. You could definitely play some, some you know, a lot of it stealthy. Bullshit. <laughs> like this game, you like you yeah. like land on a planet and walk 10 feet and they're immediately aggroed on you. Right. And it's like there's no way you're getting out of that situation without murdering them. Yeah. Anyway. Sorry. Go ahead, Brandon. No, you're good. I want, and I want to be clear about the Starfield because I know there's been a lot of like, once again, unfounded opinions online. Um, I think that overall very very happy with the experience i just don't know why it hasn't grabbed me and there's been many games like this over the years but i'm definitely going to give it a go i'm going to keep trying boys so as someone if this helps you brandon as someone who loves the game i don't think any of your opinions are unfounded gotcha i just disagree with some of them but it yeah the discourse is insane yeah but no i keep going back to Baldur's gate 3 um i will say there's a huge black stain on Baldur's gate 3 for me right now um very similar to the experience that you're having been in act 3 um it keeps crashing my computer over and over and over Mm -hmm. and over and over um i mean sometimes i go like five minutes playing and it'll crash my computer so i have tried many different things 
Um, if there's anyone in the Discord who's had this problem, please chime in. Essentially, what happens is my computer black screens. I could still hear all the audio, but no matter what I do, no matter what buttons I press, I can, I'm in a perpetual black screen. I have to full hard shut down my PC. Um, so I've tried a couple different things. Nothing seems to help. Um, for a little bit, I dropped myself down to 60 uh, FPS frame cap, and I thought that was helping for a bit. Um, and then last night or the night before that, I went into Act 3 and it crashed anyway. Um, mm. So, yeah, very, very unfortunate because honestly, Baldur's Gate has been... Yeah, I could say it. Easily probably one of my best gaming experiences ever, just kind of yeah. out of nowhere. I mean, genuinely... I'm playing Starfield exclusively, and I'm constantly thinking about Dude, Baldur's Gate. I am just an enamored with this game. Um, and uh, yeah, I can't talk highly enough about it. I j- just finished Act 2, um, and I'm finding it hard to believe how interested I still am in this. Um, mm-hmm. Act 1, banger. Act 2, banger. And from what I've seen... Act three doesn't disappoint. So as long as my um, my PC can handle it, <laughs> I will be trying out Act three. Um, not that my PC can handle it. As long as the software can handle it. I was going to say, your PC is no joke. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Really hoping there's some sort of fix here soon or maybe some suggestions from someone in the Discord. But after some research, I haven't really fa- uh, found much of an answer. But yeah, I... I can't even describe to you guys. And I really don't think this is a game for most people. Um, But I feel like this is the type of game, you know, when you love a game so much, you want to like Sherpa other people through it. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like I want to spread the good word. Like I'm, I'm, I'm talking to my buddy Alec and I'm so tempted to be like, I'll pay for some of your game. If you play this with me, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) like that sort of thing. But, um, sure. Yeah, dude, I fucking love this game. Um, and uh, Larian has really um, pulled on my heartstrings with this one. So although I wasn't super hot on Starfield, I do have uh, a wealth of things to play. Um, and I, st- I still am completely cold on on uh, Armored Core. I will say that. I've not played it again this week. Interesting. Um, I think that now that I've been away from it for two weeks, I think I'm... The further I get away from not playing it, the more or the less motivated I'm going to be to jump back in. So I really need to get back into it because I was enjoying it when I was playing it. But uh, Boulder's Gate cannot pull me away. Um, this shit is so good. So, yeah. but that's it. That uh, That's it, boys. Nice. And that's the show. That's the whole shebang. Thank you guys out there for listening. We appreciate it. We might just have some upcoming news for you. I've been, I think I've said that a couple of times in the last couple of months, but I haven't really teased what it is. So, you just have to wait and find out. If you want to help support us, don't forget, you can go over to patreon.com slash handsomephantom. Sign up for as little as a dollar a month to help support the show. We appreciate that. And if you go over to handsomephantom.com slash discord, we'll be there waiting with open arms and Dave's feet pics to greet you. Thanks. We'll talk to you next time. The HP Podcast is made possible by our patrons over at patreon.com slash handsomephantom. The following patrons are at the $5 level or above. Toby Ryland, Edward Walton, Josh Cummings, Jared, Poot, Boots, Passive Pixels Edwin Castillo, Maurice Bays, Htrons, Nuke Dukem, Derek O, Rainick, Christian Snow, Gravelicious, Benji Bop, and Johnny Waffles.